He says, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is in good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. These are the words of Jesus. And reading this, it always convicts me. All the time. And that's what I need in my life. The Holy Spirit convicts me. And as long as He's continuing to convict me, I'm in line with God. I'm in the right place. You know? Once I stop hearing the voice of the Spirit and the conviction, and then I'm, I'm drifted away. But reading this brings me back to reality where I'm at and who I work with and who I represent. Salt. This was like gold back then. Maybe today too because I don't use the regular white bleach salt no more. My wife got that pink salt now. It's called uh, <laughs> Himalayan salt. <laughs> <laughs> it's better for your health, right? we got to take care of this temple. You see? But back then, they had that white salt and, you know, and that bad salt, they would throw it on the ground. Or like today, with rain and everything, they, they throw it out there to break up snow and everything else. It's good for nothing. And he goes on to say, in verse 14, You are the light of the world, a city that is set on a hill, God can, uh, on a hill cannot be hidden. And that's where Jerusalem is at. It's on a hill. And he's telling the Jewish people, you are the light of the world. You are the salt. People are looking to you. People are flocking to Jerusalem. But what do they see now? People are coming to minister to them. Verse 15, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand where it should be. And it gives light to all who are in the house. I mean, you go to some places and it's dark, pitch dark. Because people don't want it. That's what they want it. Pitch dark, no light. And that's what he's telling us, we're to be that light. You turn on that light. He goes on 16, let your light so shine before men, that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. The good works that we do isn't of ourselves, it is God doing the work in us and through us. Because our works are like filthy rags. But it's God who does the work in us and through us. Amen? And so we need to be that light. We need to be that salt wherever we go. Because people are watching. People know you're a Christian. And we're to be representing the Lord Most High. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, we come before you, Lord, in Jesus' name, Father God. Father... It is so awesome to gather together as brothers and sisters, Lord, and to lay at your feet, Father God. Father, we thank you for the worship, Lord. 
Father, you are glorious, Lord. And Father, we pray that your glory will fill this room, Father God. We thank you, Lord God, for all the work that you do, Lord, here in this place, in this building, Lord, in the hearts of your people, Lord. Father God, we thank you for this time of gathering to study your word, Lord. Father God, we want to hear from you, Lord. Direct us, Lord, as we go through your word, Lord God. Father, we give you all praises and glory, Lord God. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. And so, that is something that touches my heart. There, that chapter there. And it reminds me, because I work a bunch of knuckleheads, man. You know? But the Lord is doing a work there. You know? Amen. And um, so here we are in Acts 19. But I want to do a little recap through not only John, but the books of Acts. And where the Lord going through here, He takes you to places. I mean, you're one place, and the next thing you know, you're going over here. And, and it's like, okay, Lord, let's do this. And so in John chapter 12, verse, 8, verse 12, uh, chapter 16, it reads there, His disciples didn't understand these things at first. But when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things were written about Him and that they had done these things to Him. But it wasn't until Jesus was glorified. We know that, Right? And, but they couldn't understand what Jesus was telling them, that he was going to go, that he was going to die, that he was going to be rejected and, and everything else. And, but they couldn't understand these things, you see. And in Luke 18.34, Jesus had predicted his death for the third time. Jesus had just finished telling the twelve all the things that are written by the prophets concerning the Son of Man will be accomplished or fulfilled. For he will be delivered to the Gentiles and will be mocked, insulted, and spit upon. They will scourge him and kill him. And the third day he will rise again. Verse 34 of the book of Acts, chapter 18, tells us, But they understood none of these things. These sayings were hidden from them, and they did not know the things which were spoken. The prophets spoke about, about Jesus. Isaiah 53.5 But he was wounded for our transgressions. For our, for our, for he was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. And in Acts chapter 1 as we go the promise of the Holy Spirit was given. He commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, speaking to the uh, disciples, but to wait for the promise of the Father in Acts chapter 1, verse 4. And in Acts chapter 1 and 9, uh, chapter 1, verse 9 and 11, Jesus ascends to heaven. And in chapter 2, the day of Pentecost, which is which the fifth, mean the 50th day, as they were all with one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house. Chapter, chapter 2, verse 4 tells us, 
And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance, meaning dialects. They understood their language. Everyone had a language and they understood what they were saying. But it was the Holy Spirit, the promise of the Father that Jesus was telling them that was going to come and come to empower them with power to fulfill the ministry that God had placed them in. In Acts chapter 2, verse 14, Peter's sermon, if you want to turn there, he's quoting Joel chapter 2, verse 28 and 30. As he says here in, um, in verse 14, he says in chapter 1, But Peter, standing up with the eleven, raised his voice and said to them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and heed my words. For these are not, for these are not drunk as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. But this is what, what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out of my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. And here in um, Acts 2.17, it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, and that he was going to pour out his spirit. In Genesis 49.1, he says there, as Moses writes, and, and Jacob called his sons and, and said, Gather together that I may tell you what shall befall you in the last days. Jacob is talking to his sons, the twelve tribes of Israel. Israel is the subject of the last days, the concern the Jews. We see this as Matthew and Matthew's letter is to the Jews. Moses confirms this in Deuteronomy 4.27. And Moses writes, And the Lord will scatter you among the peoples, and ye will be left few in number among the nations where the Lord will drive you out. Moses also in Deuteronomy 4.30, when you are in distress, means being persecuted, because that's what persecution means, persecuted, distress, because that's what it brings. Persecution brings distress, you see? And that's what he's writing here, and he's saying, are in distress, and all these things come upon you in the latter days when you turn to the Lord your God and obey His voice. You also find in Jeremiah 23, 16-20, Ezekiel 38, 16, and Daniel had a vision of this in chapter 10, verse 14. Hosea 3, 5, and Micah 3, 12 speaks in this. Because it isn't going to be until the, the remnant is saved and they run to Petra. After Satan goes in there and he says, Worship me, I am God. Then their eyes are going to be open and they're going to flee to Petra. But they're warning them. This is what's going to happen. You see, Peter was talking to men in Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem. You see that? He's, here he is in Jerusalem because he told him to stay there in Jerusalem. So here he is talking to the men in Judea about what's going to happen. And he's telling them, I'm not drunk. I'm not drunk. Well, I didn't smoke the big one. This is the Holy Spirit. There's a transformation that took place in Peter's life from denying Jesus. And now his first sermon the scriptures tell us about 
3,000 souls were saved. And he's saying, it's not me. This is what God has promised. This is what God had talked about. What he was going to do. And he fulfilled it. And what I say and what you're hearing is from God. Now everything that Jesus had told them came back to them. Everything. In John 14, verse 26, these things, verse 25 and 26, these things I have spoken to you while being present with you, telling disciples. Verse 26, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to remembrance all things that I said to you. That's the Holy Spirit. Now they remember. All the things you remember, I remember. The things we hear from our pastors, the things you in your personal time read and study. God brings back all them things through the Holy Spirit to use it. Why? To point to Jesus. To save somebody's soul. And he said also here <clears throat> in John fifteen twenty six and 27. But when the helper, the comforter, the Greek word, the pericolotus, pericolitus, comes, whom I shall send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me. See that? The comforter, the Holy Spirit. He is going to testify of me through you and through I. If you're willing. If you're willing. Because God isn't going to force you. But the Holy Spirit will move. He will tug your heart. He will whisper in your ear. Either you could be obedient, disobedient, and lose out on the blessings as we see. Ananias, as we go see Ananias here. A notary man. He wasn't an apostle. But we'll see how God used him. To anoint Saul. To put his hands on him. And give him his sight. He had given him this task. This one time task to do. And he did it. And you never hear no more about him. And that's how we should be. God gets all the glory. And he said, before, uh, before Jesus' accession, accession, before he was lifted up in the clouds, in Luke 24, 49, it says, he, And he, Jesus, opened their understanding that they might comprehend the Scriptures, the power from on high. And then we know about 3,000 souls was added. To, to the church. This was a healthy church. They had their issues, but God took care of them. God took care of them. God gave them the spirit for the purpose, for the ministry. You see, we have one thing in common here. We're indwelt with the Holy Spirit of God. And so I have to have my ear open and my eyes are open because God is always 
revealing things and showing things and speaking. He's always doing something. And you are indwelt with the Holy Spirit of God. And when someone is coming to me, even an unbeliever comes to me and speaks to me, I have to listen. Where is this coming from? You see, I'm no more better than you because I'm up here. We're the same. God shows no partiality. Neither should we. But we're all guided by the Spirit of God. He says, so, he took care of them with the Holy Spirit, with knowledge, wisdom, for the for the task that was set before them. In Acts 2.42, it says, And they continued steadfastly, <clears throat> they continued steadfastly with the, uh, the, at the, with the, doc, with the epistles, with the apostles, doctrine and fellowship in the breaking of bread and in prayers. They stood fastly with them in one accord. And this was a healthy church because they were in the doctrine. They were in the Word. They had fellowship, koinia, communion, and prayer. Prayer. And that's where it all begins. And prayer. And God is the one that initiates prayer. We'll see it with Saul. When Saul was had that vision, and I and I, so we both had a vision at the same time. And there was Saul praying. Praying. And we'll get more into that. And so, I'd entitle this, God is able to save the worst of sinners. I presume we all qualify, right? That's why we're here. And there's many more out there. I mean, if you look at it today, think of the worst person that's running around right now. They already killed Saddam Hussein and Bin Laden. And, but imagine one of them being saved and going to the Arabs and preaching the gospel. And them going or coming here. It'd be hard to, it'd be hard to really believe that, wouldn't it? You see? But there's nothing God can do. There's nothing that He can't do. And if He wants to use somebody, He's going to use them. And so, verse 1 of Acts chapter 9, it says, Then Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the, against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus, so that if he found any who were of the way, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Still breathing threats. In chapter 8, Saul was consenting to Stephen's death. A man, a man full of the Holy Spirit. They laid their clothes at his feet after stoning him. And there Saul was cons- consenting to his death, Stephen's, Stephen's death. My wife always has to correct me because I always say Stephen. No, Stephen. No, Stephen. Stephen. Okay, so it's Stephen today. Okay? And so Stephen, um, the first martyr, death. Saul was there. And his last, and Stephen's, and his last, uh, 
a man full of the Holy Spirit, in his last dying breath, Stephen, Stephen, he knelt down and cried out with a loud voice. And he said, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. Wow, that's heavy. Huh? That's heavy. And I honestly believe, because he was pre-prayed that with his last dying breath. I believe God honored that. Because here's how he ends up getting saved. And I bet all them other people on his way to Damascus, all them other believers, they were terribly afraid of Saul. They were probably so afraid that they didn't pray for Saul's salvation. Because Ananias himself was afraid, Lord, this guy's on his way. He's coming. He's here. <laughs> you know? But it really touched me because here he is, his last time, but I said, Lord, don't charge him with this. And I'm saying, Lord, well, I just pray that I'll be able to say that. If I was in his shoes, if that's the way you want me to go. That's heavy. But yet, because he was filled with the Holy Spirit of God, the same thing that we have, he was able to do this. Just like Jesus said the same thing on the cross. Hmm. Wow. What forgiveness, what love he had for the sinner. You think the Lord honored this dying man's last prayer, prayer request. Like I said, I think he did. He prayed for Saul and the others. They were afraid of Saul. Saul, he made, it says, he made havoc, meaning widespread destruction. He was going crazy, killing saints, destroying them, taking them to jail. He was evil. He didn't care that these men and women had children to take care of. He just wanted to destroy lives at the cost of religion. He didn't care. Better yet, he was ignorant. Just like we were, just like I was. I was ignorant of the things of God. I thought this was the way life was. You live crazy and you die. Lack of knowledge. Ignorance, that's what it means. Lack of knowledge or information. He had information, but it was twisted. It was wrong information. Here's a quote from Martin Luther King. Nothing in all the world is more dangerous than sincere ignorance and consensuous stupidity. Stupidity. Conscientious people, conscientious people like to argue or fight. That's what they like to do. We run across a lot of them on Friday night. And sometimes they want to take up your time. 
They just want to argue and debate. And, but that's what the enemy likes too. He likes to distract you. So it sends people out there to keep you busy. That's what Satan does. He likes to keep you busy. And I always say that the acronym of busy is being under Satan's yoke. Because that's what he likes to do. He likes to keep you busy from the word, busy from fellowship, and everything else that has to do with God. And he's doing a good work. He's doing a good work. And then you got to come home, you got to stroke, oh, I got to read, I got to read, I got to read. Because you're in a hurry. I get like that, I admit, I get like that. But I have to calm down. I have to rest at his feet. Help me, Lord. Because of all the busyness. Okay. Have you ran into such a person lately? Like this? Just wants to debate, talk, and just do all this stuff? In Second Timothy 2.23... It says, but avoid foolish and ignorant disputes, knowing that they generate strife. Verse 24, and a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach, patient. Got to be patient, especially with our own brothers and sisters. Because where are you teaching them? <laughs> Here. Because a lot of people ask questions. There was a brother I knew, he was a pastor, and he used to come and give studies, and he was the most humble guy that I know. Because people would try to interrupt him, and he would just pop down his head. He'll say two or three words, and then somebody would interrupt him, and you know. But sometimes you, you, you have to correct people. People need to listen. In verse 25, in humility, correcting those who are in opposition, if God perhaps will grant them repentance so that they may know the truth. In verse 26 of Second uh, Timothy chapter 2, it says here, and that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, according to the promise of life, which is in Christ Jesus. And he wrote this to Timothy, beloved son. And this was after his conviction when he was in prison. You see the transformation that took place in his life. The brokenness, the humility, and who Saul was once Saul, but now he's Paul here. Verse 2. And asked letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus, so that if he found any who were of the way. The way is just a title that they give him to the Christians because of Jesus saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Which stuck, end up sticking the way. And we now know that Jesus is the way. There is no other way to the Father except through Jesus Christ. Then, whether um, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Damascus was around... 130 to 140 miles away from Jerusalem. So Paul had a lot of walking and thinking to do. This time walking, 
boom, it took at least, I'm going to say six, seven days to get there and walking. And he was with other men, yeah. But he had a lot of time to do a lot of reflecting and, and thinking on his way. And thinking to do. Saul was headed with letters to the synagogues. He was going to the synagogues. He was going to go to the Jewish people to find Christians, believers. He had permission to bring them bound from the chief priest, from the high priest. Verse 3. And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly a light shone around from heaven. Saul hadn't set foot yet on Damascus soil when suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. Wow, this was the glory of the Lord itself. A bright light. I mean, it was so bright that it actually blinded him. The retinas in his eye, in the back of his eye. I mean, I ain't a doctor, but, you know, I mean... When some people do welding and, and you get that flash and, you know, it can blind you. But this was, that light was so bright. It said in other chapter in the book of uh, Luke, no, um, it said it was, where, where am I at here? Okay. It said, the light shone around him from heaven. And Acts twenty six thirteen, Luke tells us that this event took place at midday. He saw a light brighter Brighter than the sun itself. The brightness of the light was so bright that it blinded Saul. Not only was he spiritually blind, but now he is physically blind. Right? Isn't that how it is? That's the way it is. We're blind. Spiritually and then we come to Jesus Christ. And then we say we were once blind. Because he takes out the, the blindfold. Now we're able to see. We're able to see now. Because we're new creations. You see? We're involved with the Holy Spirit of God. Who's enlightened us. And it says also, it says that. He fell to the ground and heard a voice. Fell to the ground. Other, other people say he had a horse. He fell off a horse. I don't think so. He fell to the ground. He was afraid. This is the first action that we take. He said he heard a voice. Not only that, but he said that he spoke in, in Hebrew. Saul was a Hebrew. He spoke to him in his own language. The voice. And Saul, right away, he, I honestly believe he knew already. So stay on the floor, water. I'm tired of picking you up. And so, he, he heard that voice. And there's a, a term for that. At rabbis call that the voice of daughters. It's called, uh, it's, let me see it. The coal, coal something. I can't remember it, but look it up. They, they, the rabbis would would teach us that it was the voice of their daughters, that you could hear it. 
And, and I'm sure Sal probably heard of it, but it was God's voice. It was God's voice. You he heard God's voice. And where am I? Speaking to me, to him in Hebrew language. In verse tw- in verse four, it says, "Sal, Sal, God confronts Sal. He says, Why are you persecuting me? Why? Why, Sal? Why are you doing this?" He said, "You cannot fight against." Against me. He tells him that. It says in verse 4. Then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to himself. So why are you persecuting me? Persecuting me. Why? There's that word. Why? Was Jesus waiting for a response? I don't think. Jesus already knew why. But he's confronting them. You can't fight against me. It's useless. In Matthew 25, 40. And, and the king and say and the king will answer and say to them, Surely I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to one of these one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. God was speaking about those. You fed you went to prison, you fed them. You you know, you went to the to the orphans and you know, and did that. You see? Then he sells on the other flip side of the coin, you didn't do this. You didn't do that. You see? And, and so, here, he says here again, that God often uses a name twice to get the attention of a person whom he is calling for a special role. The Lord asks Sally a question, why? It wasn't that he was persecuting the saints, he was persecuting Jesus. In um, Matthew twelve thirty, it reads here, and he and it says, "He who is not with me against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters abroad." That's what Jesus is saying. He who is not with me is against me. And he who is not scattered, who is not gathering me scatters abroad. And that's what we could be doing. That's what many people do. They scatter. In many ways, right? Yes. In many ways. Verse 5. And he said, Who are you, Lord? This is so. Then the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. And goads. And he said, Who are you, Lord? I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. A goad is what kept an ox in line. Sometimes this, this goad could be as long as 10 feet long, pointed. And then there was like a piece of steel at the end of the, in the tip of it. A sharp point. Paul's actions were as senseless as an ox kicking against the goats. Jesus begins to steer Saul into the right direction. Proverbs 15.10 
says, Harsh discipline is for him who forsakes the way. And he who hates correction will die. And I see this. I see this. I see this with my own family. My brother in the Lord. Who is backslidden in the world. And I try to minister to him. But he agrees. But yet his, his heart is far away. But he's just listening to me because he's in my house. See? But I took him to the Amtrak. He's gone, but I left him ministering to him, praying that he'd come back. You see? And he needed correction. Did he come back? He ain't back yet. Yeah, that's it. That's all we can do. So, he needed correction. When we choose to disobey God, we become like the rebellious ox, driving the gold deeper into our flesh. And a lot of times, God is trying to get a hold of us. He's speaking to us still. Come back. He tells in Isaiah, in the book of Isaiah, uh, 118, I believe, if I remember correctly. He says, come, let's reason. Let's reason about it. Let's talk about it. You see, God wants you to come back. He goes after you. Verse 6. Then Saul arose from the ground. And when his eyes were opened, he saw no one. But they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. Now Saul was trembling and astonished, said the Lord. What do you want me to do? Amazing, what a long walk can bring now he's on the floor weren't some of us here like Saul I knew I was now Jesus gives him instructions what to do I mean here he is I mean he deserves death just like us and he probably thought he was gonna zap him but God was patient God was loving even in the toned voice Saul Saul Hmm. I remember there was times like they say, Ernie, Ernie, what am I going to do with you? You know? And I know I was in trouble. I'd put my head down. You know? At their mercy. Yet they forgive me. Which I didn't deserve it. I smiled and went back did the same thing. I didn't learn anything. It wasn't until Jesus got a hold of me. He hit me upside the head with the baseball bat. Almost killed me. And that's when I cried to the Lord. Save me. Forgive me for my sins. Because I knew I was going to die. And I knew that I was going to be separated from God from all eternity. Growing up in the system, I didn't go to church. I went to go play around and meet other people but I was hearing the word of God and I remember hearing no sinner shall inherit the kingdom of God when I was hanging 25 feet up in the air with this tree crushing me and these people saying he's going to die the tree went through him I said this is it I was in so much pain 
hanging in the air. And I said, Lord, take me. I'm ready to go. I, I was way, willing to die. I was in so much pain. I said, take me, Lord, I'm ready. And I cried out in a loud voice. Loud as can be. Lord Jesus, forgive me. And those other people around. And I stand here today. Because of the grace of God. Nothing else. Nothing else. Verse 7. Verse 7. Got to move on here. And the man who journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but see no one. They didn't see anybody. They didn't see anybody, but they heard a voice. See, but it wasn't them to see. There wasn't them for to see. God was there for Saul. God was there for him. Imagine what it took. God has to, the greatest miracle is when somebody comes and receives Jesus Christ. That's the greatest miracle. All the things that God had to do for me, put all these events, all these people from childhood, take away a mother and do all these things so I could be a rebellious kid. And then finally, after years, 40 years of my life, come to Jesus, surrendering finally, all those things that I had to go through, that you had to go through, all those things that he had to put, all them pillings you slipped on, everything and everything else. He orchestrated everything, God's perfect plan. He runs everything and everybody, whether you like it or not. So you see, they heard a voice. Luke tells us in chapter 22, 9, that these men seen a light and were afraid, but they did not hear the voice of him. Most of the times, things that God wants us to see or hear is for that one individual. It isn't for everyone. God had a special assignment for Saul. Just how God uses me and you for his good pleasure. If you're letting him serving, if you're letting him, that is, by serving him, is where you see God's hand at work. Not only in your lives, but in the life of others. What a blessing it is that the God who created the heavens and the earth has called us into His ministry. You're here today because God called you. You heard the gospel, you believed it, you accepted it, and you repented. And now you're here wanting to know more about God. But the way you're going to know more and more about God is when God and you let open your heart and you pray, use me, use me. And he's going to use you. And then you see the miracles. You see the miracles that God not only does through you, but how he's working in everybody, orchestrating everything. And they'll just blow you away. Even in your time of distress, God comes through. The last minute. So he is being led away by the hand now to Damascus, blinded. Here's Saul whose life has been 
turned right side up by Jesus. He had plans by meeting. He didn't have plans by meeting Jesus. Jesus wasn't on on uh, on them. Jesus is still doing the same miracles. We all have a story how Jesus called us and changed our lives, don't we? Well, we all have a story. Verse 8. Then Saul rose from the ground, and when his eyes were open, he, he saw no one. But they led him away by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And he was three days without sight and neither ate or drank. Three days without sight and neither eat or drank. Saul was dying to himself. It would take three days of dying that he would be raised from new life. This must have been a humbling experience. And now everything that he once lived for was wrong. Everything that he once lived for was wrong. And he's there blinded and fasting and praying. Now to Jesus. To the God. The only God. Verse 10. Now there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And to him the Lord said in a vision, As I, Ananias, Ananias, and he said, Here I am, Lord. Here I am. Wow. That was the response. I'm right here, Lord. At your service. Verse 11. So the Lord said to him, Arise and go to the street called Straight and inquire at the house of Judas. For one called Saul of Tarsus for being... For behold, he is praying. He's praying. He's sitting there praying now. And you know what? I'd be doing the same thing. I'd be praying, oh Lord God, have mercy on me. Thank you for sparing me. I'm blinded. I'm hungry. I'm thirsty. But I still have breath. I'm living. There's still hope. And Ananias receives his orders from the Lord to go to a street called Straight where he'll find Saul Tarsus praying. He, 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 was, he, he went quickly, go quickly, immediately. Tar, Paul uh, was where Saul was being, well, immediately. Tarsus was where Saul was born. When Jesus had told Ananias that Saul was praying, this might have helped him because he's praying. He's, oh, maybe he did change. He's praying now. You know, he's praying. That this might have helped him with his fear of Saul knowing he's praying. God's grace. That was, that's all it was. Is God's grace. Tor, Tarsus is located on the southern coast of modern day Turkey. About 12 miles from the Mediterranean. It's a port city. Verse 12. Verse 12. In a vision he had seen a man named Ananias coming and putting his hand on him. So that he might receive the sight. So Ananias having a vision and Saul's having a vision. And so they're going to. Eventually, Ananias is going to go to where God told him to go. You see, God's already preparing him. God's already prepared him with his vision. And Saul's going to be knocking on the door any minute now. And, and he's going to let him in. And he's going to lay hands on him. And he's going to pray. And he's going to heal him. You see? Let's continue here. Verse 12. And the Lord is speaking to Ananias in a vision and is telling him, Saul... And having a vision, the both of them, like I had said, and they were both in that, that same one mind, one accord. God had set it up. In the Old Testament, Moses laid hands on Joshua 
to commission him to commission him. In Numbers 21, verse 18 to 23, the apostles laid hands on people to heal them. Matthew 9, uh, 17. And in Acts 8, 17, then they laid hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. The apostles, God had given them this dynamite power to do that. They were gifted, to empowered by the Holy Spirit of God to go out to do this. Okay? And so, let's continue reading here. In 13, Then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority, and here, meaning in Damascus, he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. You see? Ananias uh, knew the reason why Sal is here in Damascus. He was there to cause harm. He was there to bomb people, take a man, women. In verse uh, 14, And now he's here with authority from the chief priest to bind all who call upon your name. So fear has entered his heart once again for a moment. For a moment it has entered his heart. And so in verse 15 we see that that God had chosen. He was a chosen vessel. Saul was going to be an instrument. The Lord chose him as a tool that he was going to work out his will through to reach the Gentiles. And this was at one time in the Old Testament a mystery as Paul calls it. A mystery because it was a mystery. But now in the New Testament it's been revealed. It's been revealed. You see? And Paul was the chosen vessel that God was going to get sent out, and he sent out to reach the Gentiles. His will through to reach the Gentiles. This brought comfort to Ananias. It brought comfort to him, knowing that I chose him. He's a vessel. He said, okay. Paul writing in Romans 9, 21, 23. Verses uh, 21 to 23. Does not the potter have power over the clay from the, from the same lump to make one vessel for honor and another for dishonor? Paul was not, the only cho- uh, not only chosen, but he was molded. He was molded. He was shaped for the work that was going to be done. In Colossians 1.27, To them God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery. Among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. See, Paul was a transformed man when now he's writing all the epistles. He's a transformed man. You see it. We have his writings. Verse 28. Him we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. In verse 29, it says, To this end I also labor, striving according to His working, which works in me mightily. It is God who is working in Him. It is God who works in you and me. God does work, and there's other work. God does a mighty work. And He did do a mighty work through Saul. Paul knew about the suffering. In 2 Corinthians 11, chapter 11, let me see, let's go there real quick. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 22 to 31. It said, Why? Because I do not love you, God knows. But what do I, 
Am I on the right prayer? 11. Oh, 22. I'm sorry. Are they Hebrews? He's saying in verse 22. So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they the seed of Abraham? So am I. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more and 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 labors more abundant and stripes above measure and prisons more frequently and deaths often. From the Jews five times I received forty stripes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked a night and a day. I have been in the deep. Verse 26, and journeys often and perilous of waters and perilous of robbers and perilous of my own countrymen and perilous of the Gentiles and perilous in the city and perils, perils in the wilderness and perils in the sea and perils among false brethren. But Paul knows about suffering. And Jesus had told him that he was going to suffer for his namesake. Then he goes on to, he goes on to say, <clears throat> and, um, and, Verse, you know, striving, he goes and say, okay, First Corinthians, let's go to First Corinthians, just to your left, real quick, because we're not a time here, 15, uh, 8 through 9, it says here, then, last of all, he was seen by me also, meaning Jesus, as by one born out of due time, it was God's perfect timing, he goes on to say, for I am the least of the apostles, who am not worthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. He says. So Paul knew about suffering. Paul knew that no matter how much how much it hurt in the in the here and now, it was nothing compared to the hope and healing that he would receive for eternity in the presence of the of of, of the Lord and Savior. And second Corinthians five verses seven and eight. We walk by faith, verse 7 and 8. We walk by faith, not by sight. We are confident, yes, well, please, rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. That is the hope that we have, ladies and gentlemen. There's people, many people out there don't have the hope. And there's some Christians who think they have the hope, but they're far from that. Because I've talked to them, believe me. If you were to die today, they say they're confessed to be a Christian. If you were to die today, where are you going to go? They said, I hope heaven. And we all know that because we hear plenty of time from Xavier. What do you mean you, you hope so? It's I know so. Because the scriptures tells us so. So you're telling me that you're still living in sin. And you better get right with God. And that's the confidence that we have, Paul tells us. Is that when we take our last body, we'll be, our last breath will be in the presence of the Lord. That is the hope that each and every one of us have and should have and be reminded of that when we go through these times of trials and tribulations. We look forward. We have a hope. Hope doesn't disappoint. Verse 17. And Ananias went his way and entered the house and laying his hands on him, he, he said, Brother Sal, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you came has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales and he received his sight at once and he arose and was baptized. So when he had received food, he was strengthened and Sal spent some days with the disciples at Damascus. Ananias here calls him brother. Not because he was Jewish, but because now he was born again 
and of the same faith. Brother Sal, Brother Ernie, you see, we become brothers and sisters in the Lord. And we acknowledge one another. We have the same mind. We have the same faith. We're on one accord. That's why we have new believers class because people might come in with some other kind of doctrine and try to sneak in. That's why we have them classes up there. You want to serve in the ministry? Go to these classes and you're going to find out how smart you are. <laughs> like I did. <laughs> it's very, very good. So, <clears throat> let's continue here. He assures Saul that the Lord Jesus, who appeared to him, has sent Ananias to confirm the vision Saul has seen. Ananias went to the apostle. To apostle to the, uh, Ananias was an apostle. He was a man who loved the Lord and trusted on the Lord, and Jesus used him for this purpose. Saul received his sight and received the Holy Spirit for the service that was set uh, was set before him. He is born again and is healed from the blindness, which was, we all know, it was spiritual blindness. Verse uh, 18, it says, um, oh, I got a quote from Linsky here. It is often said that Saul was converted on the road to Damascus, strictly speaking. This is not the fact. His conversion began in his encounter with the law. But it was not accomplished until the gospel entered his heart by faith. And that, and that did not occur on the road. But in Damascus. When he, he received the Holy Spirit when Ananias laid his hand on him. That's what he's saying. It wasn't until then when the scales fell. And like I mentioned before, there's such thing as that. When your retina gets burned, your eyes, and you're blinded. But it was God who healed them. He healed them. And then scales, it said like scales, came down his eyes. And now he was able to see. But for them three days, he didn't see anything. He didn't eat. And he had plenty to ponder on and pray about. Verse 19. Saul was strengthened physically and spiritually. Gave him food to eat. It says here, immediately he preached the, verse 20, immediately he preached the, the Christ in the synagogues that he is the Son of God. This is what happens when you become a new believer, when you receive Jesus Christ. You can't help but share, go out and speak the things of God. And the first people you go to are members of your family because they're lost and you know they're lost. And you know without a doubt that you've been saved, that Jesus saved you. He filled you with his spirit. And you can't help but share this with them because you love them. And you want them to have the same thing. And you don't want them to go to hell and be in torment forever and ever and ever. And then you go out to the streets. Wherever God sends you. To proclaim the good news. To proclaim, to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. As we're commanded to do so. <clears throat> Verse 21. It says, and this is my last one. Everybody said, thank God. <laughs> just like, just like. Then all who heard were amazed and said, is this, not, uh, is this not he who destroyed those who called on the name in Jerusalem and has come here for that purpose so that he might bring them bound to the chief priests? 
Wow. That's heavy. In 1 Timothy 1, verses, uh, chapter 1, 13 and 14, he says, Paul writes this, Although I was a formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and, and in, an insolent man, meaning violently, ignorant, arrogant, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. That's what he writes. And in verse 14 of that same chapter, it says, And in the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant with faith and love, which are in Christ Jesus. Verse 15, This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance, that, G, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners who I am chief. In verse 16, he says, However, for this reason I obtain mercy, that in me first, in me first, Jesus Christ might show all long suffering, and he goes on to say, as a pattern to those who are going to believe on him for everlasting life. Jesus is the pattern of the suffering, of the suffering that Saul knew that he was going to go through. But not like Jesus, because Jesus bore all the sins of the world. He wasn't recognized. He was beaten, spit upon. You, we can't even imagine what it looks, what he that looked like at the time. But he set the pattern. And Paul is saying that I'm going to follow the footsteps. Because God had told him he knew what he was going to go to do, what he was called to do. And he went and he did it by the grace of God and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Because he knew, he knew the truth and the truth set him free. Amen? And I'm done yet. Verse 20. Saul preaches Christ. Transformation is immediately taking place. He goes to the synagogues, the Jews, and preaches that Jesus is the Son of God. In Colossians, Galatians 1.13, I'm going to close here. I'm, uh, I just got to close here. 1.13, it says, For you have heard of my former conduct in Judaism, now I persecuted the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it. And I advanced in Judaism and beyond many of my contemporaries in my own nation, being more exceedingly jealous for the traditions of my fathers. But when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb, he called me through his grace to reveal his son in me, that I might preach him among the Gentiles. I did not immediately confer with flesh and blood, he says. Nor did I go to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. But I went to Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Verse 18. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter and remained with them 15 days. He was in Arabia for three years. And where was he? He was spending time with Jesus. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you, Lord God, for all the works that you do, Lord Father. And we thank you. We give you all praises and glory, Lord. Father, I pray for every individual that is here, Lord. Those who might be struggling, Lord. Father, that you would touch them, Father. That you remind them of your love for them, Lord Father. How you carry us, Lord, in your hand, Lord Father God. We thank you, Lord God, for your word, for your Holy Spirit, who guides us and leads us into all truth, Father God. 
Father, we, we just love you, Lord, and we, we hunger and thirst for your word, Lord God. And Father, I pray if there's anybody in here that doesn't know you, they wouldn't leave here without knowing you. Or those who are struggling, Lord God, those who are, are not even, um, those who have, have lost that, that fire, Lord, I pray, Lord, that you would ignite in, in, it, Lord God. Father, that the fresh, that you would, your Holy Spirit would wow, fresh on them, fresh on them, Lord God, Father God, Lord, and Lord, once again, we just give you all praises and glory, Lord, as we go our separate ways, we ask for your traveling mercies, Lord God, and Lord, here we are, Lord God, use us, Lord God, you give on these, us, your word, Lord, in everything that we read, Father God. The, all the examples that we see and that we hear about. We thank you for this place. We thank you for our pastor, Lord God. May you continue to keep them healthy, Lord. Give them eye strength, Lord God, Father God. We praise your holy name. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.